to another edition of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Weekly Cyber Threat Intelligence and Information Security Podcast. My name is Chris and I'm joined as ever by my colleagues Ivan and Austin. How's your week gone, chaps? Going good, man. Thanks for having us. Hey, Chris. Yeah, going great. Good to be back. Glad to hear it. I'm just off a uh, week's leave myself, uh, so enthused as ever, as you can imagine, to jump into all things uh, cyber threat intelligence related with you both today. Uh, we do have some really interesting developments in the last seven days. So this morning, I noticed that reporting had confirmed the decryption keys for the Maze, Sekmet and Egregor operations, uh, ransomware operations, were disclosed by the reported developer of these ransomware variants, which is interesting. Um, obviously, we haven't seen much of these three in quite a while. So Maze rebranded to Egregor in October 2020, and then Egregor shut down their operations following a law enforcement operation um, shortly after. Um, and you know, perhaps the developers had a sudden change of heart after all this time, who knows? Um, and obviously, we've also seen tensions continue to build between Russia and Ukraine, and in the past week, they've started military training exercises with Belarus, um, and along with other reporting suggesting that military hospitals are, are being constructed on the border, you know, the situation does appear to be reaching somewhat of a, a boiling point. Um, and we've actually released a, a really fantastic blog on the Russia-Ukraine situation yesterday. So if you'd like to get up to speed on what's occurred from a, a cyber perspective, then definitely check that out. But also in the news this week, and our first discussion item will be um, news from Microsoft, who've announced that changes they'll be making regarding um, Visual Basic uh, application macros downloaded from the internet, which are essentially um, being done to stop users from being able to manually enable these through the mark of the web button that you, you typically see when receiving uh, such a file you know, from the internet. And you know, this is going to affect several Michael, uh, Michael, Microsoft Office applications um, in early April. So Word, Excel, PowerPoint and Access and effectively kills a popular distribution method for several types of malware. So this has been you know, pretty much universally welcomed by the security community, you know, albeit with some suggesting that it should have been done perhaps 20 years ago. Um, but we'll start with you, Ivan. You know, what impact do you think? this might have on the, the cyber threat landscape? Yeah, I believe this will likely have a very large impact in the entire cyber threat landscape. Uh, as you may recall, threat actors, they would terms Office or Excel documents via phishing emails, and uh, it would have a little pop-up saying, do you want to enable the content? And if the user clicked on that, it would enable the macros and run malware. So threat actors, they have been leveraging mac macros for many, many years to dis distribute malware. It's been one of the most popular attack vectors for let's such as Emotet or TrickBot. And uh, this uh, is something that even nation state threat actors have been using for many, many years. So with the new change implemented by, by Microsoft, uh, enabling macros is much, much more difficult. You have to actually open the settings of the file and disable some security settings. So as easy as the click of a button anymore. And that means that this attack vector is significant, is going to be significantly less effective. And uh, threat actors, they will have to find a new way to distribute distribute malware. For sure. I, I saw um, some pretty trusted uh, security researchers on Twitter suggesting that 
uh, around 25% of initial access that is uh, enabled by ransomware groups, um, which is what they suggested was a conservative estimate was done via this type of, um, you know, abuse of macro. So, you know, this really should have a, a big impact. Um, the updates are occurring from April 2022. You know, how quickly might these changes actually be reflected across business, do you think? Uh, so these changes will be rolling out on version 2.2.3 of Microsoft Office products. But uh, one important thing to note is that uh, this fix will only apply to those people who update and patch their products. So it may sound easy enough, but delays in patching may result in many companies waiting months or maybe even years before they fully update all their systems. Uh, in addition, legacy systems are likely to still remain vulnerable to these types of attacks. So I would say that uh, at the very least, before enough companies update their systems, uh, it will probably take about a year before this attack vector is no longer effective enough that threat actors are still pursuing it um, as much as they do today. As with everything, we're uh, reliant on companies actually updating their products for this to, uh, to be effective, I guess, is, is what you're saying. Um, how do you foresee threat actors might adapt to these their, their TTPs to these, these changes that have been introduced by Microsoft? So even though macros have been a very popular attack vector, it is not the only one out there that exists. Uh, threat actors may simply adapt their tactics and begin other attack using other attack methods, such as phishing emails that just link directly to the malware or maybe malware that impersonates a legitimate application or such as like a fake antivirus or fake software updates and uh, get people to run the, the code for them. <clears throat> so the goal of a threat actor in a social engineering attack simply is to get the victim to execute some type of code on their behalf. And uh, there's many ways that they could go about that. They just have, they're going to get creative and we're likely to see, uh, you know, many different new attack vectors coming out in the future. Sure. It's, um, it's going to be limited by the threat actors' creativity, isn't it, as you've just said. Um, I saw um, some suggesting that the use of kind of 7-zip compressed files might be become more commonplace. Um, so I, I didn't realize this, but if 7-zip opens an archive that comes from the internet, um, the extracted contents have, um, essentially will have no indication that it came from there and there's no mark of the web notification actually presented. So the new changes introduced by Microsoft are, are going to have kind of no impact on, on 7-zip use. So that might present as a, an opportunity for threat actors. But, but like you say, it's it's going to be a matter of time. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what sort of uh, TTPs they pivot to because uh, they're, going to, they're going to be creative, I guess. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we will move on to uh, another story uh, that's come out recently uh, regarding arrests that were made in Russia. Uh, reportedly uh, for individuals who were part of a hacking group involved in the theft and, and sale of stolen credit cards. Um, so law enforcement operations, as I'm sure many of you are aware, have become you know, much more commonplace this year. Um, you know, following recent operations against Reval and other cyber criminal groups. And Russian media reported that the arrests came at the request of investigators from the Ministry of Internal Affairs of the Russian Federation. And this reportedly impacted several carding marketplaces, including Skyfraud, uh, Ferrum, uh, one called Trump Stumps. Yep, you heard that correctly. And uh, UAS Shop. So, Austin, with the uh, the carding marketplaces and um, automated vending carts that were taken down, 
Could you provide us with a little more detail on exactly what they were used for and why they might have been targeted by Russian law enforcement? Yeah, these are carding marketplaces, like you said. Some of these have been around for years. They've kind of been a staple uh, in the not just in the Russian cyber criminal community, but um, you know the cyber com criminal community in general. And basically, they were set up like an online shopping market where users would go to purchase credit card numbers um, or even like illegitimate credit cards. Then they would use them for fraudulent purchases. And you know, according to statements from Russian law enforcement. Um, these individuals were suspected of committing a crime under the criminal code of the Russian Federation. And they said that uh, these individuals were <clears throat> suspected of the illegal circulation of means of payment and the making of counterfeit credit or debit cards for the intent of selling them. So they're making quite a bit of money in, in harvesting these, these credentials and then enabling other actors to, to commit fraud and other kind of financial um, transactions and things of that nature. Um, what was the, um, the reaction to the, the takedowns from other members of the, the Russian cyber criminal community? Yeah, so just speaking to some of our uh, forum experts, some there was kind of a mixed reaction. Um, some users indicated that <clears throat> this would just lead to more distrust in the Russian language cyber criminal scene. Um, which there's been a lot lately just because of uh, other law enforcement activity. And then some people suspected that the West and Russia were working together as some part of some backdoor negotiation. One of the more kind of outlandish claims was someone suggesting that the Russian government is recruiting operatives for a possible invasion of Ukraine. But I'm not entirely sure why they would need credit card experts to invade Ukraine. So, uh, but I mean, I guess you never know. <laughs> um, and then some suggested that uh, these carding forums and, and automated vending cards would move to private, private messaging platforms like Telegram or Discord. Interesting. So these guys have arrested, they're going to send them to join the 100,000 on the border with Ukraine. That's going to be the punishment, yeah. is it? Yeah, that's the, that's the big secret weapon there. Oh my God, bit of a conspiracy there. Um, what do you think are the implications of this arrest? Should we expect further activity of a, a similar nature in the short term? What we've seen historically when these carding sites go down is that their customers, they usually migrate to a different platform. But you know, the arrests themselves could definitely intimidate the people that are facilitating and running these types of carding sites. And with the crackdown on ransomware and carding coming in from inside Russia, I imagine some people are definitely thinking twice about their illegal activity. And we've seen a lot of unexpected law enforcement operations from Russia lately. And yes, some people are arguing that it's a distraction from Ukraine, but regardless of whether or not that's true, Russia definitely has the resources and capabilities to shut down operations that they deem illegal. So it wouldn't be surprising if more crackdowns came in, um, you know, in the short-term future. And especially they, the law enforcement left a somewhat ominous note on some of these sites that they took down. And the note said, which of you is next? And they asked it as a question. So this could be a sign of maybe things to come. Interesting. So if you're a, a listener and you're your operator on a carding forum, then there you go. There you have it. Um, get your services offline as soon as possible. Um, <laughs> that's one way to look at it. it. You're talking about the confidence of kind of the cyber criminal scene. You know, that, that kind of falls into line with what we've been seeing from a, a ransomware perspective as well with sort of rates, you know, generally speaking, being slightly reduced from what we saw at the tail end of 2021. Um, so, yeah, definitely interesting to see if there's going to be more operations and 
what impact that's going to have um, on the, the cyber criminal scene going forward. So thank you very much. Um, we'll move on to something um, a little bit, uh, I guess, less serious, and that's uh, Valentine's Day. So you know, Valentine's Day might draw images in, in many of your minds of hearts and uh, chocolates and flowers, things of that nature. Um, but it also represents an opportunity for those without warm intentions. So we've previously reported on the use of events like Black Friday as an occasion that's exploited by malicious actors. And 2022's first you know, real e-commerce event of the, of the year is likely to generate similar results. So many cyber threat actors are you know, opportunists and they're going to exploit any public event or holiday that's likely to generate interest in their social engineering attacks. So a recent public service announcement from the FBI has warned of several romance-related scams, uh, many of which are related to uh, directing messages to users on dating websites. And this has coincided with uh, a similar announcement from West Mercia Police within the UK, who've also warned of the pitfalls of you know, ro romance-related fraud. Um, apparently, daters who strike up relationships between Christmas and Valentine's Day are you know, massively more likely to be um, impacted by you know, this type of fraud. Um, so one I'd like to post to, to both of you, and I'll, I'll start with you, Austin. Um, what sort of malicious activity should users expect during Valentine's Day or other e-commerce events? Yeah, um, just thinking about Valentine's Day or any kind of public holiday, I would say be on the lookout for phishing emails and uh, phishing text messages. Uh, you know, it could be something simple like someone offering a good deal on flowers or chocolate. So, you know, that's just kind of like the, the basic phishing scheme. But I also think that cyber criminals could prey on people's loneliness or longing to connect with someone. I mean, that's kind of what Valentine's Day is all about is, um, you know, connecting with a significant other <clears throat> or a love interest. Um, so there could be, you know, potential dating app or website scam associated with Valentine's Day trying to lure people in. Um, but if you don't believe in Valentine's Day, then you don't have anything to worry about, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people just see it as a, a just an extension of the the card industry, so they can make more sales, right? I, I think I used to be like that before I got married. I was very um, pessimistic about the whole thing. Um, Ivan, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think Austin covered it pretty well. Uh, we usually see scammers also reaching out to people on social media platforms and uh, dating applications, and they they try to be, let's say, make a fake relationship with that person, and then. Uh, they make up all these false stories and then eventually they can ask for money either to pay for like a surgery, flights, travel documents and stuff like that. Uh, threat actors, they, you know, use Valentine's Day also to get people to click on links, uh, to the link to scam pages. And, you know, just like any, uh, any other holiday, threat actors will leverage it in any way they can. Sure thing. And, um, you know what? What do we what do we assess as a group that you know consumers need to do to stay protected? You know, you're talking about the kind of you know phishing emails and things that can arrive in your mailbox. You know, advertising chocolates or flowers or or things of that nature, saying you know we got a good deal on because it's Valentine's Day. You know, what should users do to stay protected when shopping online during these periods? And I'll uh, submit that one to to you, Ivan, to start with, I guess. Sure. Uh, so consumers, they should be very cautious about any emails that they receive that are unsolicited and uh, be cautious of who they speak with and any websites that they visit. They have to make sure that they are legitimate 
And the telltale signs of a romance scam are when uh, people you don't know uh, and you just met it and you never met in real life, they begin asking you for money and they have all these extraordinary stories. Or you may get a text message asking you to click on a link to redeem some money, uh, but they ask you for a shipping fee. And so never put your payment information on a website you don't know. Uh, don't send money to strangers and do not click on any suspicious or unsolicited links or emails. Solid advice. Solid advice. Austin, any thoughts? Yeah, I just had two points <clears throat> thinking about this. I would say uh, to build on Ivan's point, uh, critically evaluate the websites you're shopping on. That You don't have to do anything extraordinary. Just make sure the URL doesn't have anything suspicious like a typo or an unusual top-level domain. And the top-level domain, that's the, the string at the end of the URL, like the .com or .org. So if you see something, you know, kind of quirky, um, that could be a sign of a phishing page. And I would also say to be on the lookout for counterfeit items. Uh, there's an app that I like to use. It's called FakeSpot. And uh, it can be used to analyze products for their perceived legitimacy. And it, I don't know exactly the technology behind it, but it uses an algorithm to detect fake reviews and a couple other metrics, and it um, helps determine whether a product may be uh, suspicious or illegitimate. I've used it in some of my investigations, and I've found things like you know, cosmetics and vitamins to, to be deemed suspicious. So, you know, if you're thinking about, like, buying your significant other some makeup or something, um, yeah, check out the Fake Spot app. It's really interesting. Is that available in the UK, or is that a US-specific app? Um, I know it's on the Google Play Store. Um, I've actually found it to be pretty useful um, it, for, you know, investigations at work and just uh, kind of browsing on my own. Um, but I would definitely, I'm not sure if it's available there, but I would look into it. I'll, I've never heard of that before, but that, that sounds really, really good. Um, I'll definitely go and check that out and see if it's available in this part of the world um, for sure. Yeah, there's, um, you know, I watched a really interesting documentary that pointed me to it, um, how some of these like huge e-commerce websites they get inundated with um you know massive amounts of fulfillment requests and people kind of exploit that supply chain and you know if there's a really popular product um they could submit you know like fraudulent products into that uh product line so something to think about that we don't really take time to think about that often yeah definitely um i mean you're always going to get fake products right you know i i think i've said it on this podcast before but i had my fingers burnt last year buying some um, uh, children's toys online for my son and they turned out to be fake. And that was advertised through Facebook marketplace. I did not spot that 50% off was dodgy. I <laughs> went for it anyway. And um, yeah, if I had your, what was it called? Fake, fake shop? Uh, fake spot. Fake spots. I, if I had the application, then perhaps I would have, uh, I, would, I wouldn't have made that purchase, but there we go. Um, awesome. Thank you so much guys for your contributions today. Um, just to round up with, um, a few blog plugs. Uh, the first this week is titled CVs You Might Have Missed While Log4j Stole Headlines. And as you can imagine, this delves into CVs that were released in the past few months that might have otherwise flown under your radar. This one was written by myself with the results determined by filtering on our fantastic new uh, vulnerability intelligence module on Searchlight, which provides access to the industry's most comprehensive intelligence on vulnerabilities, outlining how they're being exploited, you know, their general interest levels and uh, mit mitigation advice as well. So a really fantastic solution, uh, one we're quite proud of. 
uh, and I've used it to great effect in this blog. We also have the Russia-Ukraine blog I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, this is a, a really rapidly changing situation with events occurring on an almost daily basis. And it's, it's always good to take a look back and, and gather the facts. Uh, we also have some fabulous tips in this blog on preventing um, cyber activity from sort of Russia nexus actors and some search like queries that can be useful for our clients too. So definitely check that one out. And the last blog uh, to be released today, um, which details our last topic we discussed, which of course was Valentine's Day, what horrors you might find during this period, how actors abuse this holiday for their own purposes, and some top tips for navigating online during this time. Uh, that brings me to the end of the podcast today. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.